0: Before we get into sermon, I forgot to share with you about Ukraine. Uh, Between us and Raymond, we did five crates. So that's about four grand. You know, three and a half, four grand. Uh, Me and Zoe took them on Tuesday. Got to speak with Jamie, who's going to Ukraine. They're going to have about 50-ish crates. But one crate they have is very special. Right now it's empty. They're filling it with tourniquets. By the time they buy 40 pounds of tourniquets, that crate will be valued at about $8,000. But they have a big team, and they're all going over there in the middle of September. And we were able to help, along with other churches in our area. So he wanted me to extend a special thank you. So, now, with that being said, we're picking back up in the book of John. We're going to be in John 7... 1 through 24. But as you're turning, let me recap where we've been in John. It's been only, you know, 12, 13 weeks. In John chapter 6, something happened very similar to what happened here this morning. Jesus had a church potluck, he fed 5,000 men, plus women and children, and then he preached a sermon. And only 12 were left. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Perfect. Okay. He had a church potluck. He fed 5,000. He preached a sermon. And all of them left. Now we're going to pick up a couple months later in John chapter seven. So let's pray. And, well, let's pick up our sermon in a sentence. Right judgment requires right belief. Right judgment requires right belief. Now let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself and what you have revealed through Jesus Christ are the things necessary for our faith and the very practice of our life. So, Father, would you give us ears to hear what you have to say, eyes to see what you have revealed, that we may walk and practice a life of faithfulness unto God. Father, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, we're picking up in verse 1. We're going to read 7, 1 through 24. Hear the word of the Lord. After this... Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast I am not going up to this feast, for my time is not yet fully come. And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his, bro- after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast, saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks of his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him... There is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered. You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them. I did one work. And you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Thus ends the reading of God's Word this morning. Now, each of us here have to make judgments. We make judgments all the time. Should I go back and get an extra piece of watermelon before preaching two sermons this morning? What should I wear? Where should I go? What should I do with my life? We all make judgments. However, some judgments are better than others. And I love watching people make poor judgments. And then someone always says, well, I guess common sense ain't common. Have, we all, have you all said that? I say that. But the sense in which we say that is with the sense that is most common to ourselves. That in that moment, we act as the sole arbitrators of truth. That we judge according to our fancies. According to our own senses. For the majority of us, our common sense is not a sanctified common sense. The point in question can be seen in the argument of a husband and a wife. The husband did not take the trash out. And therefore, they both thought the other one was lazy. Now, why would they think that? Why would they reach that judgment? Well, when she was growing up, her daddy always took out the trash. And when he was growing up, his mama always took out the trash. They made a judgment on the other from a particular bias their beliefs in what a marriage should look like altered their judgments. They both thought they knew the right way and they both had a wrong judgment. How do we, whether that be in how much breakfast we eat before service, to how we deal with our marriages, how do we get to a point that we have Right judgment. Well, Jesus tells us right judgment requires right belief. To judge rightly, we must believe rightly. Now, do we see this problem in our text? The text has two bookends. Both bookends are people making unwise judgments. So let's look at the first book bookend. We see it in the first of our passage where unbelief relies on underhanded wisdom. Unbelief relies on underhanded wisdom. Jesus' brothers compelled Jesus to go to the feast and to make a big show of himself if he's really a big deal. That may, that's common sense, right? If you want to make yourself known, you make a big show. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. What, how do we put that? Put your money where your mouth is? If you think you're so hot, prove it. Doesn't that sound familiar? If you really are the Son of God, jump off the pinnacle of the temple. You know who said that? It was the devil. Jesus' brothers and the devil have the same judgment about the Son of God because neither believe in Him. Let's just call a spade a spade. If the end of life is this world, if this is the goal, the finish line, then we should be using underhanded, disgraceful ways of getting there. Unbelief shackles us to this world, that there's only one world, one life, one shot. Underhanded ways are the ways of of unbelief. But if there is another world, another life, there must be another way of living. That way is the way of believing. The way of the world is what I call the way of Jimmy. Call me Jimmy, I'll take all you'll give me. The way of believing is vastly different. Jesus forewent forewent the big show. Instead, he took the path of suffering. Right belief requires right judgment. Not underhanded, not cunning, not deceitful not malicious ways of gain. So we see at the very beginning, this unbelief leads to underhanded practice. By the end of the text, we see that unbelief leads to unclear judgment. Jesus kind of puts his finger on the issue. You remember in John chapter 5, Jesus heals the lame man at the pool on the Sabbath, and everybody gets their knickers and a tizzy. And Jesus kind of points out, he says, you circumcise a man, you inflict a bloody wound on a child to keep the Sabbath, but it's wrong for me to make a man whole on the Sabbath. That makes no sense. Makes no sense at all. It's okay for me to put my dog down on the Sabbath, but it's wrong for me to take it to the vet. Jesus is putting his finger on an issue. There's an inconsistency, an incongruity between their judgment and their actions. It is a point in life that is too common to us. Some of you know I like to collect southern phrases. That's why I write down everything that comes out of Monty's mouth. And there's all sorts of phrases we use all the time. The pot calling the kettle black. I love that one. I use it all the time. You, people who live in glass houses can't throw stones. Or one from Jesus, get that log out of your own eye. These phrases are so common to us because false judgments, hypocrisy, are so common to us. We see it in our text. Where do these things come from? Unbelief. Here's Jesus healing, revealing the will of God, feeding 5,000. He's a wonder-working, amazing Son of God in the flesh. And what does unbelief cause them to say? You have a demon. You have a demon. What more nonsensical statement? Could be uttered. God made this world in a rational way. Two plus two always equals four. Squares have four corners. Right angles are always 90 degrees. God made us to function and understand this world. But sinful man wants to keep reason without a reasonable God. And it does not end well, does it? I mean, if we really want to point out we live in a day and age where you ask someone, what is a woman? And they say, I don't know. I'm not a biologist. We live in that age. It's not necessarily that men deny God. It's that men refuse To accept the wisdom and authority of Christ. And we could talk about talking heads in Washington, D.C. all day long. But the fact is, each of us in this room have done it. And you all know the trend. Disobeying his wisdom leads to dishonoring. Dishonoring leads to forsaking. Forsaking leads to rebellion. Nietzsche, a late philosopher, once said that there was a madman who claimed that God was dead and that the earth had been untethered from the sun, that it was time that we build a life without God. With the God of reason and knowledge dead and the foundation of every rational thought crumbled, the bulk of the weight is upon us. To rebuild this world in our image, how has that worked out? Is this the world we thought it would be? This is this a world of right judgment, and I don't mean the world out there. I mean the world here: the broken homes, the poor decisions, the lack of character. How many times have our lives been defined as nonsensical? It's not that common sense isn't common. It's that common sense no longer makes sense. William Cowper, I think, put it best. Unbelief is sure to err. Unbelief is sure to err. What is to be done? Well, Jesus gives us a a solution. He invites us to believe in his judgments. We must deal with the problem of belief so we can deal with the problem of judgment. And as the Son of God, Jesus is the source and authority behind all wisdom. It says in our text that Jesus was sent. That's not the same as when Jessica sends me to the corner market. When it says that Jesus is sent, this is a peek, a snapshot into the eternal relationship between the Father and the Son. Jesus' teaching is not unique to himself, but it is the wisdom of God Almighty. It is the wisdom of the very God of very God, the very light of very light. He being one substance with the Father who for us in our salvation became man. This is a problem for us. If we wanted to consider Jesus just a good role model, if he has a few ideas that we can glean from, that might be helpful in some situations. But Jesus has never been in my situation. Jesus has never had to worry about getting into college. Jesus is not worried about how hard it is to advance up the social ladder. Jesus has not had to deal with marriage. But if he is God, he's not the best of a litter. He's one that stands alone. That he knows all things, all things. His wisdom is more than we could possibly comprehend. We would have a better chance of reading an LED sign on the surface of the sun than grasping the totality of Christ's wisdom. But we see that with this infinite wisdom, Jesus comes not just as the Son of God. He comes as the Son of Man. He comes to communicate wisdom to us. As we cannot stare at the sun, but the sun gives light to all things. So Jesus comes to give light to us. He veils his glory beneath clay that we can behold it. He takes the infinite wisdom of God and he makes it common to us. John begins by saying the word became flesh. It's a beautiful statement. So that he could communicate to us in ways we can understand. The same way when you hold a baby. I've said this before. You don't go, would you like some liquid from a bovine heifer? You say, would baby want some milk? Baby wants some milk. Two babies? Y'all both want milk? I don't know how that works. Whichever way. But you see the point. Jesus puts divine wisdom into human words. Our very language strains and bends under the weight of their significance. His very mundane actions like blessing food carry with themselves more wisdom than an infinity of YouTube videos. Bless us just mark out, Jesus didn't come to deal with ignorance. Jesus does not subscribe to the modern idea that we are a blank slate, that we just need a good education and some good books and everything will be okay. Jesus subscribes to the idea that we are a dirty slate, Jesus comes to clean the slate and then to fill it. To begin exercising right judgment, we must have belief in Christ that we may be washed by His blood, that the sin which veils our eyes may be removed, that we can begin to see clearly. In Christ we have the solution to both sin and ignorance. We are shown the wisdom of God not in underhanded means, not in unclear judgment, but in the public crucifixion of the Lord of glory. To restore to us right judgment, He was judged. And by an open and public display... He deals with sin, and he deals with ignorance. Christ is set before us today to be believed, to be meat and drink to our souls, to be wisdom turned over in our minds. Do we believe? I don't mean, did you believe last week? I mean, do we believe right now? Now the question I have is this. How does this look on Monday morning? How does this belief in Jesus' wisdom affect us tomorrow? Let me give you three things. One, slow down. Slow down. That was probably not what you expected. Slow down. So in elementary school, I had about five concussions. And in two of those, I remember waking up and my mother, who worked 15 minutes away, was there. And when I woke up, it took a second for me to adjust to the lights and the surroundings and what was going on. It takes time. When you have surgery and you wake up from from uh, Anesthesia. anesthesia, thank you. It takes a moment to adjust. Well, guess what? We who have dwelt in a deep darkness have seen a bright light. Belief is no different. When we believe in a moment, God changes us. He adopts us. He justifies us. But the work which God does, the work of sanctification, takes time. Gradually, we learn to live in this new light. Christian, slow down. To think with right judgment after a lifetime of thinking wrong takes time. We don't have to weigh into every opinion, we don't have to comment on every article on Facebook, we don't have to gauge everybody's thoughts. We don't have to jump to every conclusion. To be transformed by the renewing of our mind takes time. Slow down. Second, judge everything through Christ. In His light do we see light. The want of faith is why we have so much unsanctified common sense. Wisdom is not tied to our IQ. It's not tied to our logical precision. Wisdom is tied to faith in Christ. Every day we make decisions that affect our families and our future without any reference to Christ. And we wonder why they go wrong. When we judge things through Christ, we discern both the ends and the means. When Paul wants to tell the Philippians how to be humble, he doesn't go, now you need to think less of yourself. What he does is is he says, look to Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, humbled himself. And then Paul calls himself a servant. He filters everything through Christ. When Paul wants to tell us how to submit to one another, what does he do? He points us to Christ. Christ is the revelation of God Almighty. If you want to know God, it comes through Jesus Christ. Wisdom. ...comes through Jesus Christ. The question cannot be... ...what is easiest... ...what is quickest... ...what is most profitable. The question must be... ...what will bring the most glory... ...to Christ? What will conform me to His image? It may require more time... ...more effort... ...and more cost. But if the wisdom of God... ...is shown in the death of His Son... We should not be surprised if the wisdom of Christ causes us to suffer. On earth, the cross serves as our only companion. Or, as Thomas Brooks would say, never let your minds, never let go of your mind the thought of the crucified Christ. When we return to school, when we move to Austin, when we go to work on Monday, what will be our mode of operation? Getting ahead, impugning the reputation of others, lying and cheating in underhanded ways? Or will we filter our judgment through belief in Christ? Lastly, and I leave us with this, judge everything by the Spirit. I want us to understand something about Christianity. Christianity does not say, take your brain and put it over here and now be a Christian. Belief in Jesus Christ by the working of His Spirit Restores our reason, our brain, our logic to work within the avenue of faith. He doesn't put our brain to the side. He elevates the usage of our brain. He transforms us by the renewing of our minds. The judgments of God are not an issue of taste. They're not something to be set on the side, but the judgments of God affect our homes, our marriages, our families, our communities, and they flow into the public square. But these things happen as we take the judgments of God by word and spirit and apply them to our own life. If we are to live as Christians today in a world that makes bad judgments 24-7, we today make right judgments by what we believe about Jesus Christ. Now let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you today for Jesus That you have revealed yourself well in nature, but you have revealed yourself truly in Jesus. Would you help us, Father, to meditate on him and his ways. To believe his words, to be obedient to his actions. That we, Heavenly Father, may live a life that brings glory to him. Father, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.